Hey, sports fans. Thanks for checking out the Tailgate Talk podcast. I'm your host, LJ Smith, and in my first episode, I'll discuss some events that took place over the past couple of weeks, including the big contract extension for Fernando Tatis Jr., the retirement of Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia, and the Andrew Benintendi trade. Staying on the topics of trades, I'll then talk about the former Eagles first round pick Carson Wentz being dealt to the Indianapolis Colts. Transitioning to the ice, I'll speak about the eventful weekend for the NHL Lake Tahoe Outdoor Games. Lastly, we'll wrap up the episode with a big weekend for Michigan Wolverines basketball. So let's get this tailgate talk underway. So starting with the MLB, a massive contract was signed out of the West Coast as Fernando Tatis Jr. signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. Tatis's extension has become the largest in Padres franchise history, breaking the record set by third baseman Manny Machado just a year or two ago that was worth $300 million. It will also become the third largest contract in MLB history in terms of total value behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts' current deals. Trout signed a 12-year contract worth $426 million, and Betts' recent extension with the Dodgers was worth $365 million over 12 years. Tatis's extension is the longest contract in MLB history, which breaks the record of 13 years shared by both John Carlos Stanton of the Yankees and Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies. Stanton will earn $325 million from the Yankees over that, those 13 years, as Harper will earn $330 million from the Phillies. Now, all that being said, San Diego, in my opinion, has a big opportunity to give the Dodgers a run for their money and battle for back-to-back playoff appearances. The Padres ended a 13-year drought of missing the postseason last season when they defeated the St. Louis Cardinals in the wildcard round, but ended up getting swept in the divisional series. Now, San Diego has fortified their rotation by adding Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, and Joe Musgrove, but also retaining Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, and of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. Switching over to the East Coast, myself being a fan of the Boston Red Sox, two major events have happened over the past couple of weeks that made me quite emotional. First, Dustin Pedroia, one of my favorite players to ever don a Red Sox uniform, has officially retired. It was inevitably going to happen since he hasn't played a game in the majors since the beginning of the 2019 season when Pedroia suffered a left knee injury sustained in the 2017 season. He has undergone four surgeries since then, revealing that he's received a partial knee replacement this past December that effectively ended his hopes for returning to the field. Pedroia was drafted by the Red Sox in the second round of the 2004 draft, where he played in the minors before joining the Red Sox roster in 2006. (laughs) An interesting fact is I actually saw Petey play with the Portland Sea Dogs when I was in middle school, seeing him at a double-A Reading Fight and Fills game. Not even knowing who he was, the only thing I specifically remember of him was one of the mascots, uh, his name was Screwball, took Pedroia's hat off to show that he was bald and or balding at such a young age. Screwball, being a baseball head, uh, removed his hat to show that they were both bald and or had no hair. So that's just an interesting little tidbit. The only reason I really knew who Pedroia was because of that moment, he came out of the dugout and was getting made fun of by a mascot. But fast forward a, a few seasons now, Pedroia was named the 2007 American League Rookie of the Year and was also a crucial member of the Red Sox World Series Championship team in 2007. 
And then the next season, he took home the AL Most Valuable Player Award. So definitely his high points were the beginning of his career, AL Rookie of the Year in 07, MVP of the American League in 2008. Knowing that Pedroia was near the end of his career recently, he was seldomly playing in the minors with Pawtucket in Portland. So I ended up driving to Scranton or Wilkes-Barre to see Pedroia play one more game. I bought tickets for me and my buddy Alec, who will be on the show eventually, who's a Yankees fan. So we go to Scranton to see the Rail Riders and Pawtucket Red Sox play. We're right behind home plate just to see him play one more time, unsure if he's going to play another big league game. It was definitely a bittersweet feeling. I understand. I was I was so excited to finally see him on the field and in the batter's box. But sometimes, you know, it's it, he just looked different. He seemed like he couldn't do what he used to or at least expected of himself. But in the end, Pedroia ended up playing over 1,500 games from 2006 to 2019. 37-year-old Pedroia finished his career with a 299 batting average, over 1,800 hits, 140 home runs, 138 stolen bases, 725 RBIs, and scored 922 runs. Although it probably wasn't exactly the way that he wanted to end his career, Pedroia is quoted, I just want to enjoy being a dad not worrying about rehab or what game we're playing. I just want to be normal for a little bit. But when that time comes, I'll be 100% into whatever I choose to do. Now, the other event as a Red Sox fan that took place the past week or two was the trade of outfielder Andrew Benintendi, who was a cornerstone of the 2018 World Series champion Red Sox. He was dealt to Kansas City, a part of a three-team trade that also included the New York Mets, Now, Benny, a recent favorite of mine, was sent to the Kansas City Royals along with cash considerations, with the Red Sox in return getting outfielder Franchi Cordero and two players to be named later from Kansas City. And they also received right-handed pitcher Josh Winskowski and a player to be named later from the New York Mets. The Mets in this deal end up getting outfielder Khalil Lee, who was the Royals' number eight prospect per the MLB pipeline. Like I mentioned, he was dealt to the Mets. Now, under Chief Baseball Officer Chain Bloom, the Red Sox have been driven to add young, cost-controllable players while also improving the depth of their farm system. And in this deal, Bloom says he was able to do both. Although this trade doesn't seem to hurt me as much as the Mookie Betts trade did last year, sending Mookie Betts and David Price to now the World Series champion Dodgers, it was still a painful one for me to endure. Sticking to the theme of trades, this one comes from the NFL. Carson Wentz is no longer a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have traded Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round draft pick and a conditional 2022 second-round pick that could turn into a first-round pick. Wentz would need to play at least 75% of the Colts' offensive snaps next season for the 2022 conditional pick to convert to a first-round pick. The pick also could become a first-round pick if Wentz plays at least 70% of the snaps, but then the Colts still reach the NFL playoffs. The Eagles take a $33.8 million dead cap hit, which is the largest dead cap hit that any team has ever taken for a player, while the Colts will assume the balance of Wentz's $128 million extension, including the $10 million guarantee bonus he'll get that's due to him on March 19th. 
Less than three weeks after the Rams traded Jared Goff, who was the number one overall pick in the 2016 draft to the Lions for fellow quarterback Matthew Stafford, the Eagles have now traded the number two overall pick of that same draft class to the Colts. The one thing that frustrates me is the Eagles organization fired Doug Peterson instead of dealing Wentz earlier in the offseason. I'm assuming to deal with finding a head coach would ultimately be cheaper than taking the cap hit of trading their quarterback, but they parted ways with Peterson and chose Wentz. Then the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, a former Colts offensive coordinator, and Wentz was still not content. Sources say that Wentz was communicating with his teammates and even coach Sirianni, but refused to answer any type of communication from Howie Roseman, which still seemed to be fractured between the office and Wentz. In the end, it seemed that the Eagles chose Wentz instead of Peterson, yet Philadelphia was not where Wentz saw himself and why he wanted out. The Colts made the most sense since Wentz will be reunited with the Colts head coach, Frank Reich, who was the former offensive coordinator for the Eagles in Wentz's first two seasons. The Eagles look ahead to the future with Jalen Hurts, the 2020 second round pick heading into his second season with the Birds. Hertz went one and four in his rookie season. He replaced Wentz in the second half versus the Packers, took down the breezeless New Orleans Saints, scoring three touchdowns, throwing for two and rushing in the other. The Eagles then dropped the last three games of the season, including the more than questionable call to pull Hertz out of the game and replace him with Nate Sudfeld to start the fourth quarter in the season finale on Sunday Night Football against the Washington football team. That has caused so much controversy, even though Peterson said to reporters and Sutfeld in in the fourth quarter, regardless of what happened. But now, all that being said and done, we'll see what the new look Eagles turn out to be with a new head coach in Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts as the official starter. Also, the Eagles have the sixth pick in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft, which is slated for Thursday, April 29th. This past weekend, we saw the NHL take hockey back to its roots, playing outdoors on the 18th fairway of the Edgewood Tahoe Resort Golf Course off of Lake Tahoe. Saturday's game saw the Colorado Avalanche take on the Vegas Golden Knights. Then Sunday's contest consisted of East Coast rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Boston Bruins. Now, the picturesque weekend definitely had its setbacks, especially since the NHL tried to play an outdoor hockey game in the Nevada Sun at 12 p.m. Pacific time. The Golden Knights and the Avs made it through one period of play with the Avalanche holding a 1-0 lead, but that would be the only hockey played until nightfall. During the first intermission, the NHL decided to move the start of the second period until 9 p.m. Pacific time, midnight on the East Coast, for an eight-hour delay so the crew could get the ice prepared and limit the threat of dangerous ice conditions. Ultimately, the Avalanche would claim the 3-2 victory over Vegas, with Nathan McKinnon scoring once in the second period and assisting the other two goals for Colorado. The final horn ended the game around 2 a.m. Eastern time, 11 p.m. Pacific, so what a day you can imagine that was for both the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. But there's still another game to be played the next day. And at this point on the East Coast, it was going to be happening within the same 24-hour span. Sunday's game initially scheduled for 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific. But the potential glare of the ice, the NHL elected to bump up the game time an hour to 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. But at least that was the plan before puck dropped on Saturday afternoon. 
Once the Vegas and Colorado game was delayed, the NHL decided to move Sunday's game to a 4.30 p.m. Pacific start time, 7.30 Eastern. After all the movement has happened, we're dropping the puck at 4.30 Pacific, and the first period of play was not short of any action as David Pasternak scored just under two minutes into the first period. The Flyers and the Bruins were tied up after the first period of play at 2-2. Two to two. But during the beautiful and, I mean, beautiful sunset scenery amidst Lake Tahoe, the Bruins took over the game, scoring four goals in the second period. The aforementioned David Pasternak recorded a hat trick in this game, scoring a goal in each period, with the Bruins handing the Flyers a 7-3 loss. Although the NHL did have a chaotic weekend at scenic Lake Tahoe, Nevada, it was a memorable one, to say the least. The last topic for this episode, the Wolverines men's and women's basketball programs defeated Ohio State University on Sunday. The men's basketball squad traveled to Columbus where the third-ranked Wolverines went head-to-head with the fourth-ranked Buckeyes, and it did not disappoint. This was the first time that these two programs faced off while being ranked in the top five. Michigan snapped Ohio State's seven-game win streak with a 92-87 road victory and claimed their first victory in Columbus in seven years. Five different members of the Maize and Blue scored in double figures, led by freshman Hunter Dickinson, who ended with 22 points, nine rebounds, two blocks, and two assists. Senior Eli Brooks finished with a season-high 17 points, including draining three three-pointers and hitting clutch free throws in the closing moments of the game. With a win, Michigan improved to 16-1 overall and 11-1 in Big Ten play, as the Buckeyes are now 18-5 and 12-5 in conference play. Switching to the women's side, the women's basketball program ranked 11th in the country, evened the season series against the 15th-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, earning a 75-66 victory in the Chrysler Center Sunday evening. In the last meeting in Columbus, Nas Hillman put up 50 points, yet the Wolverines still lost. But this time around, Hillman turned in 27 points and grabbed eight boards to lead a quartet of Wolverines scoring in double figures. The third quarter was definitely the turning point where the Maize and Blue outscored OSU 24-11 to and trailed for a total of 34 seconds in the entirety of the basketball game. Late in the fourth quarter, the Buckeyes did make a push, cutting the lead to just six points in the final two minutes. But Hillman sealed the game with a putback and split a pair of three throws down the stretch. Michigan's women's program improved to 13-2 on the season and 8-2 in conference play as Ohio State fell to 13-4 and 9-4 in the Big Ten Conference. That's all I've got for everyone in the first episode of Tailgate Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you've heard, please follow or subscribe to the channel. Until next time, I'm LJ Smith, signing off.